right, well, you know what that means. You, it is 6 p.m. here at Radio Free Brooklyn, which means that you are about to start listening to Sitting with Jan Luca. I am Jan Luca. I will be sitting with you till 7 p.m. And sitting with me is uh, Dylan White. Uh, so this next hour is going to be mostly English music of Good. the indie stripe, correct, Dylan? Yeah, British Invasion. British Invasion. Coming to New York City. New York City, sort right of like now. the, the, the uh, quite new young acts. So anyway, Dylan is a publicist, a record plugger, a label owner, and a veteran, really, of the music behind the scenes, right, I have Dylan? been doing this quite a while now, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, so um, so when you when you first started doing this... Uh, well, first of all, tell us. Uh, it's about 30 years, right, that you've been being... Uh, it is getting in. for that now, yeah. Um, so so what is then a publicist and what is a record plugger? plugger. Okay, so to introduce myself to um, the listeners, I started out in life uh, wanting to be a rock star and wrote songs and played guitar and played in bands in London. Um but like a bit like you've got to get on the pitch when you're young. Yeah. Like I say, I'm a sport. And then uh, I failed to uh, impress record companies. This is, of course, in the 80s. And didn't get signed and didn't make any money as being a musician. Right. So then you sort of drift into other parts of the music world. And I got involved in managing a young band. I thought, right, if I can't be a star, I'll manage someone. Uh. So through that, and in fact releasing two records uh, that I paid for, for them, I um, discovered uh, there was a DJ called Gary Crowley. Yes, very famous in yes. London, right? Yeah, absolutely. He was playing Fantastic them. DJ, yeah. I'd have he to was say, yeah, still going up. strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he started. This is we're talking 1989, 88, 89. All right. He started playing this band on his uh, BBC London show, and I said, "How do I get more plays on from DJs?" He went, "You need a plugger." I went, what the hell's that? <laughs> and he introduced me to a guy called Gary Blackburn who was an established plugger. He gave me some names. So I went to see these pluggers. So this guy called Gary, and I actually paid him to plug my records. Now, he took pity on me that I wasn't uh, Universal or uh, was Sony then or whatever, coming in with a big budget and charged me a few pounds to try to get this record somewhere. And gradually, he started to... He took a liking to me and said, you should ditch the band and just do promotion. You're good at it. Ah. So in 1991, I started, and it was in January, and he was already, like all these things, you, you need that lucky break in life, right? And he, um, he was doing The Farm and The Lars and The Beautiful South. All right. So I started taking those records into radio, and uh, he was doing TV as well, and we had a TV girl called Karen Williams, and we were a trio. And um, you'd spend your day doing that. So I honed in on the almighty powerful BBC Radio 1 uh, to get records played. And you have to uh, very politely uh, approach people, play them a record in a very small room like this on a pretty tinny um, record player, back in the CDs, right? The CDs, right? And uh, they'd say, well, that's like listening to it on the radio. And they'd tell you if they think it's good or total rubbish oh so you're with the program director you purchase the program yeah. yeah and you you would you'd have to learn very quickly you were you realize the competitiveness it's the same on any radio any big radio station in any big city in america anywhere ever right in the national whatever there's an almighty amount of people trying to get their music played yes and that has got worse 
since the days of doing it yourself and uh, just sending over an MP3 or a WAV file where you don't even need to make CDs anymore. Right. So there's these these DJs and people are bombarded. So you've got a, like a 10-minute slot and there's someone gone before you and there's a queue outside of people trying to, that are all in line for a scheduled appointment to see oh. a producer. Very, very military, very organised, very structured, and you get a slot like every two weeks or something. Right. And you would then have to put this record on. And you, I learned very quickly to don't bore us, get to the chorus. Oh, yes. Don't have long intros, rambling verses. You And I became, an, as time went on, I'll tell you about it a bit later on, I really learned how to do radio edits. And you've right. got to get to the point sharpish. Yes. And, make, and your record has to be, it's their, the radio station is their train set. So your your um, record has to fit their tracks. So so actually, you're sitting with a with a middle aged bloke who's seen ten people before you. Not necessarily oh. middle aged. No, no. Oh no, it could be. No, well, no, I mean, no. whatever. I was... No, no, no. In their twenties, thirties. Okay. Not necessarily. But you it. could be the tenth person through the you door. Be, uh, yeah, and, that, so and, you they, and don't bore. And us they will the already course. have a pile of CDs. Yeah. Talking the nineties, right? It's all yeah, CDs, yeah. right? Yeah. A massive pile of CDs. Right, ah. and also this is before before email, right? <laughs> and then after all of this, you would then there'd be a, everyone knew when the playlist meetings were. They were at a certain time on a certain day of the week, right? You had to call all these producers to remind them of the record that you'd played them, right? <laughs> to make sure they took it into the meeting. So it was frantic phone calling, right? It was a real military targeting. Yeah. And you call them up and you might leave a voicemail or you might think, no, I want to get them. And you do these calls. They all had to be done by midday or whatever it was, right? And then whatever the time was designed, the playlists would be issued. And those are the two ways of doing it. At BBC Radio 1, they a secretary would walk down the stairs with um, photocopied sheets and we'd all just grab them. And we all had mobile phones. We were kind of like one of the first sort of sets of people to really get mobile technology. Right. I had a mobile phone in like 1988. So it had this phone, and then you would ring the record labels and say, it's moved up to the playlist, it's been added, or whatever. And it's literally like scoring a goal <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a big football match. Like you had delivered. You had put the ball in the net. Or, or you oh. failed. Right. Or you failed. Oh, God. Right? So it's not gone on. Wow. And, that, also, and it was a serious <coughs> amount of pressure. A lot of money resting on these things. And um, it's nerve-wracking stuff. It's literally yeah. like taking penalties all the time and scoring a goal. There's nothing more rock and roll than waiting by a fax machine, is there, Dylan? <laughs> yeah, but this is where, this is where the, 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 there's a... This is where... It's very different. Musicians can get up whatever time they want, do whatever they want, and basically get on stage at 9 p.m., right? Whatever, right? As long as they get that bit right, they're all right, right? They can yeah. be late for interviews and do what they want. But behind every successful artist, there is a military yeah. team of management, booking agent, press agent, plugger, right? And if there's a weak link in that team, that weak link will eventually be exposed. Yeah, and would be the downfall, or be the bit that didn't quite go as well as it should have done for that particular artist because of that weak link. Hey, uh, uh, let's play um, that first um, 
that first band that you managed and did the record of? Do we have a file? Of- I can play you that because in subsequent years, right, I've released them on a, um, my own label and oh. it's all up there on the world of iTunes, Spotify, and right. we did CD with a whole special limited edition that everything, right? They're called Well Loaded. And did they get anywhere? In or London, in London, or, no, or... in London, they, there was a club called the Marquee. I remember the Marquee, and they could yeah. sell the, the, the big Marquee on Charing Cross Road. Oh, I they, remember that. They too, could yeah. sell that out. Oh, they could sell that out. That was right? a big room. Yeah, they could sell that out, and we pressed up a thousand of these two singles, right? Of which they kind of sold. You know, I've got like a box left, right? But they couldn't. You needed the deal to go further, right? Yeah. And uh, we can play a track. It was what was kind of their considered their best single. It was called "Make It Mine." All right. So, um, oh, you can play that, yeah. That's All right. For, and it's go. available now in the modern world. Ooh, you know? there you go. But they then subsequently, we're all still friends, and they still play a bit, but not as much, and they've got no illusions of um, yeah, yeah. kind of getting anywhere. Really. Uh, all right, we'll introduce it. This is Well Loaded, Make It Mine. There you go.
Right, well, that was well-loaded Make It Mine here on Sitting with Jan Luca. And uh, by, uh, by, well, the band is well-loaded, but Sitting With Me is the uh, former manager of... Still am the manager, labour owner. I own the rights. Oh, right. But that... well, fundamentally, whoever spends the money owns it. Right. In this case, it's me. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, so you're so you're well loaded then, Dylan. No, I'm not because they, <laughs> they didn't make it, did they? <laughs> so but they because they didn't sell more than about two hundred. Well, they sell no, no, we sold out of the records that we had, but they didn't make any money. So I'm not well loaded through well loaded. <laughs> just... But you live in hope because it only needs one sink. <laughs> it only needs, it only one needs sink. some guy somewhere in Hollywood to put it on to a go, I need a, a nice rock track like that yeah. that will fit in this big Hollywood blockbuster <laughs> bit. And ping. It's just like it just you never give up. You yeah, never yeah. give it. It ain't over until the fat lady sings. You're just trying to get get out of buying me a drink. I know. Yeah. But <laughs> if you <laughs> and so if you re-release this, you're going to have to re-release this as, it, it, as would have been well loaded. Oh, if, no, if it, but it is, mate. It is this modern world, mate. It, it is, is all released. World, it's yeah. on. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Yeah. Someone that you represented for a while. Uh, uh, had an interesting story. I'm talking about Billy Bragg. That you, you, yeah, yeah, Billy. You, Billy. Yeah, you were with him for a long time. Long, long time. Oh, well, that much of a long time. Uh, but for, for 15, 20 years. Oh, then he changed label and changed yeah, yeah, people yeah. and that. You know. Yeah. Um, but there's that story of how he got his record on John Peel. Do you know? That? Yeah, I do you, know that story. You must know yeah. that story. Yeah. So Radio One, then John Peel. Right, you. It's very hard to do. I've done some radio, and various people talk about radio. Where did you first hear a record? Where did it, it always is? Nine times out of ten, it'd be. I heard it on John Peel. I heard yep. it on John Peel. Heard it on John Peel. That would have been right? me too. Yeah. Right, I heard it on John Peel. I mean, hail, hail, John Peel. All roads lead to John Peel. Right. In all that period, right. Fact, till his passing, because he was still there. Yeah. He was still there. All roads lead to John Peel. Right. So Billy Bragg was sitting in a flat, not that far from the BBC. And John Peel happened to say, I really fancy a mushroom biryani. And Braggy, again, being a bit of a chancer, went, hang on a minute, I'll get you one. Shot around to some Indian takeaway as a mushroom biryani, please. Got it and then drove or whatever round to the BBC, put his vinyl record in with this mushroom biryani, went, this is for John Peel. He's just said on air half an hour ago he wants a mushroom biryani. He went up the stairs, right, and John Peel couldn't believe it, and he put a record on. Ah! And that was New England. Oh, all right. Well, this is a good time to play it then. Uh, Billy Bragg off. Uh, yeah, I was 21 years since I wrote that song. I'm 22 now, but it won't be for long. Yeah, uh, off a spy both of spy. Us, both of us are now 62. I was 21 years when I wrote this song I'm 22 now but I won't be for long People ask me when will you grow up to be a man But all the girls I love in school are already pushing brands I loved you then as I love you still Though I put you on a pedestal, they put you on the pill I don't feel bad about letting you go I just feel sad about letting you know Love the words you wrote to me, but 
originally met you well i'll tell you how i originally met you or you no you <laughs> so, do your side not do my side oh, you do your side all right so so um this was in new york city where i currently reside and um i i had been up all night uh doing some things that i can't mention on the radio and i was walking home through Tompkins square park having a nice colorful experience <laughs> one afternoon oh, really? and uh, you know yes that was what was happening and uh and i thought oh everything's nice and i saw this quartet of english nice young english lads playing acoustic guitars and uh, being photographed and they were really really good and then they started playing the eagles who was the antichrist and i started heckling them really really and i heckled and i heckled at the eagles and i started effing and blinding you were very very cool actually i didn't know who you were <laughs> he came up to me he went oh the eagles right yeah not good <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you're all very nice. I came to your show actually, is how this all yeah, started. That was a um, I've forgotten the Eagles bit actually, but I remember <laughs> you yeah, we'd that obnoxious um, bloke heckling. I forgot that uh, bit. The, your, we'd your um, boys, yeah, well, we'd been at CMJ. Oh right, okay. Oh, we did well. The band are called Pint Shot Riot. Yeah, yeah, we'll play something. PSR yeah, okay. Pint Shot Riot.
again, it's a big problem. We couldn't get a major label to license the album from us to promote us at a higher level. So we were stuck at a sort of, we stuck where we were. Anyway, on that particular Sunday, we had a, a friend, thankfully, that was a, a professional photographer. And we'd gone down St. Mark's Place to do photographs right. where the stone sat to do waiting on a friend video. That's right, yeah. Uh, we know, I, know, I, know, I, know, I know my stuff, right? I know, I know my rock and rolls. So it's a bit like you look it all up, right? It's also the cover of Led Zeppelin's Physical Graffiti. Took uh, yes. One block along. Yep, yep. One block along is physical graffiti, yep. and then there's a doorway where the stone sat, where Mick and Keith sat, right. yep. and to do waiting on a friend video, and Jerry Hall walks past. Right? So That's we right. sat there, and they had acoustics. Then we end up in Tompkins Square Park, right? Which none of us knew where it was or what it was. But we end up in there, and voila, you turn up. Yeah. And you're suitably impressed that you invite them onto your show. I did. <laughs> and uh, they did it. They did it. The uh, following uh, Saturday. I've uh, still got a recording of it. Oh, good. Um, well, I'm going to play the intro of that right now because it's my favourite intro of all intros. Yeah. It's good that you're here, really, because I know absolutely nothing about you whatsoever. So I guess I should start off by asking, like, who the f*** are you? And what are you doing in my flat? <laughs> I was hoping you could tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or at least give us a clue. Yeah, I, I have no clue. We're... Um, we're a four-piece band from... Coventry band, Pint Shot Riot. And uh, if you've just tuned in, by the way, you are uh, listening to Sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn and Resonance FM 104.4 on your radio dial. Sitting with me is publicist, or record plugger, manager, record label owner, veteran of the music industry, Dylan White. And uh, if you like this, uh, you know we are here at Radio Free Brooklyn, our Radio Free Broke line. We got no money whatsoever. So if you have jingly jangly in your pocket or anything shrapnel-like, uh, drop it in the hat. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too big. Um, we have also, um, uh, we have a drive to five uh, on the RadioFreeBrooklyn.com website. There's donate buttons all over the place. We're also having a, a Drive to Five campaign where we have, for a certain donation, really cool T-shirts by really cool artists, including one that my guest, Dylan White, knows well, I am sure, Cosmo Vinyl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So Cosmo, who was the, um, the road manager or manager-manager of The Clash... He was never the manager. No, he was road manager. He was though, Bernie right? Rose was the manager. Bernie he Rose was he no nah, Johnny Green was the road manager. Bernie oh, okay. no nah, Bernie uh, Cosmo was a publicist. Oh, he was oh he was the uh, he, he was he, a he publicist. Was, yeah. He was there, Dylan White. Then he was a he was the uh, he was the character. Yeah. Ah, all right. Yeah, he was a publicist. Yeah, he currently lives in New York and is a um, artist. He is, I know. Yeah, I know. We just heard um, Pine Shot Riot. At sitting with Jan Luca and uh, sitting with me is Dylan White, who that was your second time in uh, management, right? So what? Yeah, drew, that was um. What drew you to them? Like, what well, was... the that's exactly what happened at the time. I was looking to manage people, or was right. It's a known path from uh, plugger, press agent to management. If you can manage the right band, right? So I was looking. So I went to see them in Coventry, and they did this gig that was rammed. Right in this club, and there was people flying through there, young kids everywhere. I thought she's going to go off. Oh, nice! <laughs> so then started a journey. But to manage an artist, you've got to fall in love with them. Oh, right. To yes. be a publicist, you can do a job. Right? Yes. You can work it. 
you can do exactly go through everything because you're, you're close to a point, but you're not really in bed with them. Right. Right. To manage an artist, you've got to be morning, noon and night mm. dealing, thinking about that artist. It's a, it's a love affair. Oh, yeah, it is a love affair. Yeah, yeah. So, so that began. And through that, I got my publishing deal with EA Games. Right. So we ended up on loads of computer games. The Ooh. world of MySpace and all that internet started happening. So there's tracks flying out everywhere, not getting any money, just out there, right, as it goes along. And then um, we we released an album with the publisher pay for all the recording. Couldn't be better. But again, I couldn't get a major label to fund it. So we funded it, and we funded the release of making the CDs. And it was still digital then as well. So we, had to, we only made a certain amount of CDs. It wasn't like we had to make thousands. So we made some, and they gradually sold. And the rest of it was done in the wonderful world of online. But what's happened recently, right, they got to a certain point where we'd done that, but then they ran out of steam. We didn't, we got a lot of radio play, but never quite enough to produce the big hit. Mm. So it, it ran its course. It's like a steam train or a car that runs out of juice. is a blue shoots up through the stony ground there's no room no space to win in this town you're out of luck what does working with you two entail like promotion what's... yeah no same thing oh is it promoting you the same, the same as promoting it's, it's, yeah and like... it's you put some the, the obvious line is, well, they don't need promoting, everyone just plays them. So no, they don't. You have to um, work out the singles, you've got a choice of singles, you've got to pick the right single, oh. you've then got to establish whether it needs editing or not, and you then everybody then wants to interview you too. Oh. So you have to work out a programme of interviews with BBC Radio 1, BBC Radio 2, Capital Radio, Absolute Radio, Radio X, etc., yes. so that everyone feels part of it. So a a young band, new band, there's two problems in life. One is making it in the first place. The second problem is maintaining that. Right, and very few last. Right, a lot of bands shine brightly for one albums. Second album, it all goes horribly wrong, and that's the end of it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. to keep going, so on a major act, you still got to get the right single to fit that train track of that particular station and what might suit one station may not suit another so what my my part in U2's history is I kept them on Radio 1 for three albums and I introduced them to CD UK and put them back on top of the pops I kept them young and did you do that by radio edits I did that, that by your, that I did job, that please? by picking the right singles in the first place ah. and telling older radio stations that they can't have them yet, and making sure that younger radio stations did want them. Oh. And we did radio. Fundamentally, we made sure that Radio 1 were all over U2. And it could have been. I started on, the song I started with was Beautiful Day. There was a perception that they were now old and therefore should be on older radio. And Paul McGuinness said, we don't the want manager. that. Man- yeah, yeah. yeah, the manager, Paul McGuinness. Yeah. yeah, Paul McGuinness, the manager, said, that's not what the band want. They want you've got to keep them young. Well, right, boss, I'll keep them young. So that's what happened. Now, radio edits are crucial, right? Um, 
Now, needless to say, you two are very protective about their music. And um, I was the only person allowed to do their edits. And I would go into a small studio. I'm not the engineer, so an engineer would technically do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would um, but do the guidance of, you know, this is what we should do. We should cut this solo in half, or we should do this and do that. And then it would be sent back to Edge, and Edge would basically then copy it and do it himself so that he was satisfied with how the edits were actually oh, played okay. smoothly. So, but, but, right, this is a very important point. You two, the band themselves, right, led by the singer, Bono would say to me, whatever you need to get us on Radio 1 is what you'll have. Oh, fantastic. Whatever yeah. you need to keep us young, yeah. you'll have. I'm not precious about the length of the tracks or anything else. Oh, so New Day is your edit then. What, what's played on the radio is then my idiot. It's just, it's just that. that, that, that oh, there were all sorts of tracks were sped up, re-EQ'd. Oh, for radio, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's all sorts of tricks. Oh. All sorts of tricks. But what's tricks? Yeah. You're just making it sound yeah. to fit their train tracks. Sure. So, but I, I, can assure, I, I assure you, virtually every record you hear on the radio, on on a top 40 station, main station, least, yeah. would, would be edited. Oh. In some way, it's either a shorter intro, a f- faster fade, or a chunk in the middle to cut out. Oh, yeah, or don't something. bore us get to the chorus, there we, probably. There was, I'll assure you that, I mean, not on late night radio, not on dance shows, not on yeah, yeah. alternative, but, but in that breakfast show, daytime, sure. on any radio station, right, if a track is felt to be a bit long, a bit slow, or whatever, it's, it's tweaked. I'll tell you a famous edit I've done. Okay. Elton John's Are You Ready for Love? Oh, really? Catch a star if you can. Wish for something special. Right? It absolutely flopped in about 1979. It was about four and a half, five minutes long. Fat Boy Slim picked up on it and started playing it. And somehow, his manager got a license to release it as Fatboy Slim, not as a standard to reissue it on Fatboy Slim's label, not as on Elton John's label. And But he needed an edit. And I spent quite a while editing it, trying to cut it down. I did about six versions. And eventually, and what you do, you do the edit, you come out of the studio because you've, you've heard the song about 20 times. Uh. You play it in the car. And then you go, no, it's still not right. I've got to go back again. Yeah. <laughs> and you go back in, making a note of which bit you want to change the middle right. A, you want to do that. And um, the track came out with the number one smash. <laughs> the label were very kind to me in the CD version, right? Got all the credits. It's got edited by Dylan White. Ah. Big letters. Are you ready?
Hey, you're listening to Sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn and uh, recorded at Resonance FM Studios in London. Yay! And thank you to Resonance FM. And sitting with me is Dylan White, who, uh, who uh, edited that, Elton John. Because uh, we were talking about Tompkins Square Park before um, with Pint Shot Riot, um, which is how I met you and the lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is actually on the south side of Tompkins Square Park. Well, first of all, it's a two-prong coincidence because we talked about Cosmo Vinyl, uh, the work with The Clash, and we um, also at Tompkins Square Park where I saw your lads pint shot right and met you for the first time. On the south side of that, there's a big mural of Joe Strummer um, saying the future is yet unwritten. Um, And you work work with Joe quite a lot. Really, that's a whole... I, I know I'm aware that that the future is unwritten mural is on in Tompkins Square Park. Yeah. Wow. Bloody hell. Amazing. Oh. I didn't know that. What? So how long how long have you worked with him? Right. Well, when I he was wor- with the Messrs. No, Post. I I, right? I worked with him in the nineties, late nineties, two thousand, when he was Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros. Yes. Right. So, obviously, I'm a certain age to have been a massive Clash fan. I saw the Clash quite a few times. Right. First time being 1978 at Rock Against Racism in Victoria oh, Park right. um, in East London when it was Tom Robinson, the Ruts, various other people, the, and, the, 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 and the Clash. And the right. Clash, who had, yeah. uh, who, the gig that changed Billy Bragg's life. Yeah, possibly yours too. Yeah, yeah, possibly yours too. We all right. got there. I did, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, all, I'm part of that okay, set yeah, of yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. Right? Legendary gig, by yeah. the way. Yeah. So, then... So anyway, so then the Mescaleros, he gets his new band, he comes back to the thing, I'm going to have another go. And uh, I promoted Joshua and the Mescaleros. So um, obviously I'm in awe of him. And uh, he was suspicious of me. He's been around the block a few times. He's like record company, white boy, giving me all this chat. You know, so he was pretty suspicious. But I got him on a very important TV show called Later with Jules Holland. Ah, yes. And... um, it's a long story about getting him on there, right? But um, he, I got him on there, and he was suitably impressed Oh, that I'd pulled this off for him, and he was on there. And then he kind of thought, he's all right. So then he became a lot easier, and we got to dinner a lot and spend time together. And I got him more radio and more stuff. I did three albums. And well, the last album came out posthumously because he left us. Right. Right? Yeah. And there's a film made by a guy called Dick Rude called Let's Rock Again. And it's the film of his last tour, right? And you've got to watch this. It's so endearing. He is basically going around in America hustling to get people to come to gigs. He's knocking on doors of radio stations to get people like you to play his record. Ah. He's no big-time limo, big-time I am from the class. People don't know who he is. And it's so endearing. And this came out posthumously. And I recently got it on British TV and had it at a film festival. And that is because um, in 20, where are we now, 1918, uh, his widow had gone through the archive and put together a box set of rare and unreleased material called Joe Strummer 001. And that is phenomenal. Right, it's oh, phenomenal. Double O one. That's it's a play on words for the one O ones because his well, early yeah, bands. Is the that the idea? Yeah, there's that, but it's also the first one. There may be a double O two. Yeah. Oh, all right. If if uh, widow blesser can really face Lucinda, can face doing more of it. She researched endless stuff, right, and uh, all that to be remastered and some had to be mixed, 
And it's a whole collection because Joe Strummer did a ton of music. Oh, that, well, that was my he, question. We're going to play about a track right now uh, of your picking, and then I want to ask you something about him, and then we'll move on to new bands. So, what track do you want to play from from that right now from bloke Joe Strummer? Well, and I'll tell you, you like what. It? It's, yeah. There's a track right called um, "Before We Go Forwards," which is only on the seven inch in the vinyl box set. Ah, right. It's rare to get. Okay. But I've got it as a digital file for you. Ooh, let's play it. All right, that was Joe Strummer. Before we go forward, here at Sitting with Gianluca on Radio Free Brooklyn and ResonanceFM.com, Resonance FM 104.4. Actually, we are doing this, in fact, from Resonance FM's uh, from Resonance FM's HQ here in South London. And sitting with me today is Dylan White. Yay, record plugger, publicist. Oh, I don't know, man about town with the music, with anything be- behind the curtain. 
or the backstage or however you want to put it in the music business. Uh, veteran, thank you, Dylan, for sitting with me. This is great. Thank um, you for the uh, complimentary introduction yeah that you constantly be doing oh two minutes maybe on talking about um joe strummer's writing actually because you know all pretty much all his stuff um was he a very prolific writer oh yeah now here's the thing then so joe strummer outside of the clash yeah. wrote like crazy now back to this box set you can get a CD version for, I don't know, £10, all right? Very cheap, right? But what you need is the A4 book, which is about £35, right? It'll be the best £35 you spend because in it you get pages and pages of his lyrics uh -huh. all written out. And there's things like a cigarette packet with chords written on it. Oh, right. It's all the stuff right? The, the back stuff of how he created his music. It seemed that Joe Strummer just wrote all the time that there's probably dozens and dozens and dozens of songs that were never even made it to a recording well, studio. The, well, there are, and they're sitting, they're, si they're sitting in a barn in yep. Somerset yep. on cassette. Aha. Uh because -huh. he recorded it all in demos, and right. it's sitting there. And it requires Lucinda yeah. to have the strength to go through and do more. Yeah. But he had, he had tracks on films, all sorts. He's yep. acting films. Um, there's all sorts of scattered stuff, and this box set brings that together, some of it, and there's more. So, all right, well, we're running out of time, Dylan. So um, I'm going to ask you then to pick, oh, I don't know, a couple or three up-and-coming bands, and um, we can play out with those, actually. Maybe you can tell us why you like them. I should say, though, just before I let you do that, I'm going to let you have the fine Because you're also... A, oh, you're also a radio host. Are you still a radio host? You, you've been on the radio. I've I heard am, you Yeah, radio. yeah. I do a punk show okay. on Soho yeah. Radio so, with Gary Crowdy. That's ah. a very on and off. Okay. It's not, it doesn't matter. How do we find out? Well, I let people know on my Facebook page. But I did a brilliant Joe Strummer show yes, you did. with I heard it. with Lucinda the Widow. Yeah, that was, was that was my finest two hours of radio. I mean, I was nervous. I will tell you this, I'm sitting there with his widow, and what was really good, she played music that they listened to together. Ah, oh, she brought in yeah, yeah. the tracks that they listened to together at home, right, or holiday, and I put in the songs from the box set. So I'm Mr. Raving Enthusiastic, <laughs> Cockney white boy, right? And she's kind of very eloquently spoken, calm lady, right? It worked a treat. It was just, I was so pleased with it. If you have just tuned in, You've just missed sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn and um, also at Resonance FM 104.4 on your radio dial. We are. This is part of, uh, of Jan Luca's rambling around, bouncing around the world. We are recording this actually in the Resonance FM studio in South London. I want to thank you to li for listening to me. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, and I hope you do, uh, my Instagram is sitting with GT. Uh, my email is sitting with at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. Sitting with me has been Dylan White, publicist, record plugger, label owner, former manager. Um, I've probably left something. Oh, radio, this radio host. Uh, sometimes, sometimes. Uh, it's like all these things. Basically, you we've all got to earn a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So within the music, within the yeah. wheels of the wheels, whether um. On managing, promoting, whatever, it's all part of the same system. Yeah. Of uh, the love of music. Yeah. 
And I did think this was going to be a great chance for me to get to play some of the bands yeah. that I'm currently yeah, working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, but you've uh, um, thrown that out the window. No, I and we've just we've just played window. we've played we've played. <laughs> there's no script here at all. No. I've worked out a script, right? <laughs> and you've gone no, 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 no. And we played what has come up in conversation, <laughs> yes, right? Absolutely. Which I can see now why you do this, right? Yeah. But I would say no. That I want to hear some new new guys. Things to check out, right? Yeah. There's a, a, a new artist, right? Now then, I am older now and I tend to work with older new artists oh. or artists coming back oh, right all right I'm not lying at all here to say that I'm working with 20 year old um, yeah. kids making their first record right but there's an artist called officer okay you want to check him out Oh, it's called Officer. Oh, tell it's us about Officer. We'll play Officer is oh. a new guy. He's got his well, he's got his second album. All right. And um, well, you have to hear it. You know, I don't like being well, descriptive of no, the music. No, no, we're going to play something. Officer, we're right, playing play the Officer. Is. Yeah, what track are we playing? Heavening, watch our bottles. Heavening, he heavening, watch our bottles. Heavening, right? watch our bottles. We play I that. Like that. There's also an artist that has come back called Doctors of Madness. They, you, you, you could interview him. I tell you, he's a right character. Richard Strange. Doctors of Madness were around in the 70s. I right? know I know that yeah, name, Richard yeah, yeah, Strange. Yeah, yeah, well, they, right, their claims for fame was they let the Sex Pistols support them, and this was like on their third album, and they realised their career was over because uh -huh. they were a bit older, right? right? And they hadn't made it in the sort of Roxy Music way, right? So they stopped, and he's done a multitude of other things. Anyway, he decided to do another album, so they got back together, got John Leckie to produce it, oh. right? And have done this album on on Doctors of Madness. You should play so many so many ways to hurt you. All right. So many ways to hurt you by Doctors of Madness, and I, I reckon and you should interview Richard Strange. He is a character and a half. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. There's another guy, right? An older, well, kind of again, an older market. He called he's called himself My Glass World, mm -hmm. and he's got a beautiful velvet voice, and he plays the piano, right? Ah. Oh. Okay, it's called Jamie, his name really, right? But he's My Glass World. And he's got a new album coming out. All right. My well, Glass World. You can play a track from the pre previous album, right? This is it. The radio. Guess who played it on the radio, right? Got a song called Paper Desk. It's played by Guy Garvey from Elba. Oh, he yes. has a show. Now that, he played it and that game was like, yes, we played ah, by Guy Garvey. Fantastic. So the next thing, he's got to try and get My Glass Well to support Elbow on tour. So that one thing leads to another. <laughs> That's the theory. You chase it. You chase it. Well, a big thank you, Dylan, for sitting with me. You've been really good about this whole thing. Thank you. Shut up, boy.